I'll start where I always start by by introducing the guest that we have this week on the Cybersecurity Recruiter Podcast Live. So Marcus originally started in the in the US Army in information technology as an information technology system leader, progressed to that. He started in 1999 and he served in the US Army for eight and a half years exactly up until December 2007. Marcus then moved on to be a Unix systems security administrator for General Dynamics. And Marcus Salia right now is the AVP and he's head of offensive security. Welcome to the show, Marcus. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. No, no. no. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, my friend. I'm good, my friend. So I've got a new mic. Marcus has got, a, do you say he's got, you got a new laptop, bro? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, new hardware is scary, man. Like it's, uh, you know, like he's great. He's excited. And just say to, to Marcus, I'm, you know, we'll pack his stuff. But it's, uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but I'm sure, man, you'll be fine, Marcus. But I'll, I'll start where I always start. I've, I've done you, I've done you a bit of an intro, my friend. But I, I never think I can do it as well as you. If you don't mind telling me and and the listeners who you are and what you've been up to professionally, my my friend. Yeah, I think you hit it pretty close. Um, I started my career in the military. Got a lot of leadership and technology experience there. Not necessarily. Cybersecurity being my first hat, security is always everyone's responsibility. And this security administrator was a secondary function for me. Being a Unix sysadmin gives you a lot of knowledge as to where sysadmins take shortcuts and where, you know, the bodies are buried. So it gave me an edge moving into InfoSec because essentially I could take that knowledge and reverse engineer it to be like, hey, here's where we should be focusing. And then as I got into offensive security, it just opened up my eyes to just like the breadth of different skills and different niches that you could go into. Um, and I really gravitated to probably social engineering and red team itself or adversary simulation, as I would call it. Yeah, cool. cool. I mean, yeah. listen, social engineering, we can definitely talk about very topical at the minute with Vegas. Yeah, it, it's very interesting that you can have a hundred million dollar security stack. And I think that's all the quote, all of that was defeated in a five minute conversation. And, it, and not to, to kick MGM while they're down, but they're not the first ones. Twitter, all kinds of different organizations have fallen victim to this. And really, I think it goes towards the importance of security awareness and security education. And without that component and without some type of method testing, your organizations will fall victim to this stuff and continue to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know, you, you're probably aware as well, Marcus, but I, I was having some offline conversations and various different podcasts I've been listening to. I think there's about 30 odd casinos that have been hacked in some way, shape or form pretty recently. I always like to remind everyone, if everyone, anyone's feeling like not like hyped up and not energized, like remember what we do like seriously matters. I, I, I think just one of them was losing either four or eight million dollars a day and i know everyone's probably got an opinion in and around gambling and stuff like that but obviously it spreads far and wide and it just emphasizes the importance of of what you and, and, and many others do doesn't it my friend yeah and i definitely you see these organizations that talk about budget and talk about how they can't afford to have red teams or afford to deploy you know red team services from consultancies and these attacks these especially in the ransomware arena they're just pen tests or red teams that have negotiated the price after the fact. So it's better to do that upfront without the reputational damage as well as the monetary and revenue damage. Mm -hmm. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ransomware is just crazy. It's like a, like an industry of its own. It's just huge now, isn't it? But yeah, no, it's frightening. Marcus, I, I want to ask you a question that I know a lot of cybersecurity guys and girls will, will be wanting to ask you. A lot of pen testers will be wanting to ask you is that so many people, obviously the, the prevalence of web apps, so many people are doing, are doing kind of web app pen testing, certain things are in scope, certain things are out, maybe more things are out of scope than, uh, than, than some individuals would like. And I know so many people are wanting to transition from that kind of web app pen testing work to that 
full chain, as you mentioned, adversarial attack simulation type world. Firstly, can you tell us how to how to transition? And also, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about the realities of, of, of what it's like doing that kind of work that so many people listening now and so many people listening to this when it goes out over the coming weeks, you know, so many people want to transition. Can you tell us how to do it and, and what it's really like, bro? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what I would do is baseline the difference. And so if you're a web app pen tester, just a pen tester in general, the way that I look at that is you're taking a sledgehammer to a door to try to get into a specific room. Whereas red team is you're using a, a very sophisticated lock pick set to get into the entire house. And so I think when you think about overt versus covert pen testers, when they move over to red team tend to be very loud because they're used to just, I need to just get in and worry about protection later. And there's something to be said with uh, smash and grab red, red team engagements where you can get away with stuff like that. If you're, you know, okay with burning your position and burning your payloads and domains. But for the most part, red team is designed to be very quiet, to be very normal, to blend into what looks to be normal. And so I think the very first thing that you need to have before transitioning is that mindset, that attacker mindset of it's a very different approach. It's a very different objective too. It, it, it's, I guess red team is kind of to get art of war or anything, but it's like pouring water on the table. You don't really know where that water is going to go to get to the ground until gravity takes its hold. So it may be social engineering. It may be fishing. It may be external perimeter vulnerability. You, you have to gauge and understand what's going to get you there and really have the end goal in mind. Yeah, no, cool, Marcus. Essentially, then I, I definitely, if I'm web app pen testing now, I need to learn how to be more, more stealthy. I suppose naturally my next question would be, what are the, <laughs> the, what are the quickest ways to get stealthy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think the best thing to do is just set up a lab. And I'm pretty sure most pen testers have done this already anyway, but to set up a lab that looks like an enterprise or outsource that, get something like zero point security and buy some hours with them for certified red team operator course. And that to me is an amazing environment that looks and feels like a small to medium enterprise. Basically give yourself an opportunity to put yourself in an environment that mimics what you would actually encounter in a red team engagement. And I think from there, you start to know and understand how things are different, like living off the land, have some basic information and understanding of how the operating systems work, use it against basically what red teamers best friend is to use the operating system against weapons. They call it like LOL, like living off the land. Definitely intellectual curiosity, start looking at training and courses like CRTO. Spectrops has a really great red team operations course. The one thing that I would caveat is you should have some familiarity with some C2s before you hop into that, because it is a very fast paced, very intense course. CRTO, you can take your time with a little bit more. It's self-paced. That are really great curriculum too, but I'd say those two are like really good starter paths. Folks ask, talk about OSCP. I still look, you know, even though they've added some active directory stuff. I still look at OSCP more heavily like pen tester, but it's definitely not horrible to have. It's, it's, it's a good path to get started. But yeah, CRTO, Spectraps RTO, those are the two that kind of got me started and got me thinking about it. And then playing with twos. I know we've got, we're going to talk about Cobalt Strike and, and Mythic. Those two are like really great to help you understand the dynamics of how payloads get executed. It's not just your simple web shell. You know, it's a lot more complicated and, and more in depth to that. So if you can do web shells, that's a good start, but you definitely need to start diving into how agents work and how payloads and, and runners encapsulate that track. Cool. Thanks, Marcus. Really nice detailed answer there. I pre appreciate that, buddy. And um, yeah, so ju just to summarize for everyone listening now, what Marcus has just said, CRT, uh, CRTO, definitely a, 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 re a really good certification to do. Spectre Ops, I mean, by the way, I, I just hear so many good things about Spectre Ops. I did a, it's not released yet, but I, I did a pod the, the other week and the, 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 there's, a, there's a chat that, that I had on and they've reduced their re reporting time down from like 30, 36 hours a week down to six, small, small team of, small team of uh, pen testers using, using, I think, part of the goat writing 
tools to yeah. software. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, if, if for anyone listening that's not aware of Ghostwriter, and I'm sure everyone's aware of SpectreOps, but if you're not, please do check them out and and certainly check Ghostwriter out. But yeah, cool. Thanks, uh, thanks, Marcus. So yeah, we're, we're going to come on to the zero point stuff. I know you've got a zero point cert, so I definitely like to get under the skin and under the bonnet of that and get some kind of before and after thoughts from you on that and probably leads us quite nicely on to two c2s you mentioned MythX, you mentioned cs cobalt strike what do we need to know i mean a question i always like to ask you what do you know now about those c2s marcus that you wish you knew when you first started out it's interesting because when i started using cobalt strike it was still metasploit based on the back end mm-hmm. and so when rafael mudge who's the creator of cobalt strike the original author transitioned that to his own kind of aggressor sleep language. I, I wish I would have spent more time understanding how the, the background of that worked because later on it definitely served its purpose and it helps you look at other C2s as well. But I think what, what's amazing about Cobalt Strike is it's just, it's just tried and true, right? There's a reason that threat actors go and get this software and try to crack it to, to use it, right? Because it is a solid command and control agent. One thing I do hate about it is it is written in Java. Sorry for all you Java developers out there, <laughs> but it is incredibly frustrating to manipulate the data model, to, to extract stuff. The UI is, it's, it's very utility. It's got great utility, but it's also very problematic being with Java apps. It's cross-platform, so it, it's, it's pretty stable. I can recall like being on engagements, like long-term engagements where you lose a server, right? Because of whatever reason. You have to go rebuild it, but if you have the cert backup information weeks later, even that command and control callback will just miraculously come back alive. And it's just that much of a stable agent that you can pretty much plummet in, in many different ways and it'll be stable and operational. It's phenomenal. I've not seen that kind of holds up with that. Cool. Is that your dog in the background, my friend? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, listen, I, I always say, look, this is like this is live podcasting. We're post COVID. That dog's barking in the background, like that's just normal, man. Yeah, he's a big <laughs> Mythic is interesting too because Mythic, I think, is like a Frankenstein of a lot of agents or a lot of C twos that a lot of the once again Spectre Ops guys created, and they. It was like this age of the C2 over the last three or four years where everybody that was like their project, that's the way they taught themselves to write team was they wrote themselves a C2. And a lot of them were really great out there, but they all had the same challenges. Merlin and Carbonids and Apfel, and now there's a bunch of others out there. Mm. Uh, and Mythic is Spectre Ops the solution to wrangle them all in with a standard loader or standard backend. And then Mm-hmm. The way that it's designed is you basically bring your own agent, so to speak. And I think mm-hmm. the last time I checked, there was like 17 published agents out there, which is insane in terms of when you think about the mileage that you get from an open source C2. So it's pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of it. It's pretty, and so well, the last thing I would say is what's interesting about it is it was written by operators, right? So people that have been doing and consultancies and seeing many different enterprises environments took some of the common pitfalls and challenges the ui ux issues and really make that into mythic and made it pretty phenomenal so i think when you think about open source and free stuff out there like mythic is pretty amazing yeah no no cool and and, and th- thanks again bro just just a few things that I, I, I just want to pick up on because i'm just piecing a few things together for the, for the listeners here and just trying to make things as beneficial as possible. So we, we've talked about staying t- stealthy, manipulating data was used. Obviously we're talking about C2s, customizing C2s and customizing various different tools and techniques and methodologies you're using is obviously going to be intrinsically linked to staying stealthy. Have you got any tips or anything now, again, that you wish you knew a few years ago when it perhaps comes to, to, to customization within your own red team methodology? Yeah, I think just having a, a bench is what I would say of tactics that are your loaders. So that's like, yeah. or like the wrapper around the payload execution itself is really just like picking a language, whether it's C sharp or, or C or 
Python or whatever, and really looking at how it interacts with operating systems. And then look at the way that other commercial software opens network channels and try your best to design agents or payloads that mimic that. And I think that blending in with normal, I think if I, if I could go back, that's where I would spend a lot of my time is, is really doing better and more analysis of how the operating system works, but really give those payloads and those, those C2s an edge to defeat, you know, some of the challenges that the security stacks can't just can't address because it's too much of normal for it to find. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, Marcus, I, I, I asked someone else about another fellow, fellow red teamer about various different program programming languages. And I, I've seen it before where for an assignment I was working on, we had to get, we had to get guys and girls proficient in rust and I found yeah. if people were really pushing themselves, especially if they come from a C, C sharp, C plus background, they could really, they could actually get up to speed on Rust way quicker than they thought. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on if there's anyone sat doing web app stuff now, and maybe they're okay at programming, but it's a little bit of a weak spot. Is there any kind of hints or tips you've got? Because I obviously, again, piecing it all together, this is this is quite important. Is there any 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 hints you've got yet when it comes to when it comes to programming for offensive games? I guess what I would say is what is old is new again, like there for a while, PowerShell, C-sharp, anything when API was like really the, the language du jour and security stacks that start to pick up on that as you start to take native Windows calls in your C2s and your, in your loader. I think it's a great place to start, but I think C, going back to the basics of just using C and it's a much right now, but the, there's much more longevity in learning it and, and, and harder to defend against than most of the traditional languages. And I, so I think that would be a great start. The other Go and Rust and Python and all those other languages are also very good to have in your toolbox because post-exploitation frameworks are all over the place. They're not in one particular language. So having a little bit of everything is jack of all trades is probably your best bet. Yeah, cool. Thank you, my friend. Um, CVEs. I know. Uh, I know. You, I know. You've got a few broken. Can you tell us a bit about your CVEs, and can you turn that into a bit of a learning story as well, if possible? Sorry if I'm asking a lot. They would be nice. <laughs> no. So first, I want to give credit to Enigma or Matt Nelson. His, his name is. He works at Spectre Ops. What we wanted to do is take a look at the attack surface of the client device, right? Where were their large install items? And I think really how, in a nutshell, how I would, how I would liken to most zero days, it's just poor application security hygiene, right? People are pushing out these apps and trying to get them out and they're, they're doing things that are not best practice. And so the couple of CVEs that, that I've got listed are privilege escalation, basically CVEs where it's really simple. Just take the power of observation. You fire up process monitor or, or process hacker and you use the app and you watch it and observe it and look for it doing something that it shouldn't, whether that's calling a DLL that doesn't exist or whether that's writing to a directory that's in user land, a system. Those are the types of things that you want to intercept and identify as potential weakness that you could exploit. So it's like, once again, like using the operating system against the product. But I think if I remember like Snagit specifically is one that we worked on and that basically every Snagit is like a, a screenshot capture software. And essentially if you, whenever you take a screenshot, it would basically create a folder and then write the screenshot and do all this stuff. Well, it was doing that as system. And it was doing that in user land. So basically where I, as the user have read, write, execute permission. So if you can put the two together, how you weaponize that is you create a symbolic link and hijack or it's going to put that file in, and then you get code execution. The power of observation is what I would liken it to. It's like the easy part, but the artistry of how you turn that observation or what that vulnerability or flaw is and turn it into a POC to weaponize it. That's where I think the, the art is. That's where it's, it really takes somebody that knows and understands functionality. Yeah, cool, Max. Thanks. But I, I can really relate that as well to what you've just said at the, at the start of the at the start of this LinkedIn Live. You, you, 
that what you've just described there does demand a level of curiosity. You've got to look around. You've got to you've got to have your have your wits about you. Uh, maybe you're a bit modest. You, you made it sound a bit easy, but I'm uh, I, I'm sure it's not that easy. <laughs> I don't want to discourage anyone, <laughs> but it it takes a while. Some people just have a natural act for it, but. What I love about Red Team is you can focus on one thing and still not be an expert in five other things. So it's always a learning opportunity. Cool. All right, mate. Move on to the next question. So, yeah, look, zero points to, um, for, for, for everyone listening. I know discussions we've had, Marcus, you spoke very highly positive of zero point. I'd like to hear your take on, on CR, uh, CRTO. It'd be nice to hear you thought the certification, any kind of tips for people preparing for it now. I know on the client side at the minute, I'm hearing really good things. It's starting to any kind of low level technical clients that, are, that I'm dealing with directly and making very good, positive noises about it. But I suppose the question is, uh, Marcus, if, if I'm preparing for, if I'm preparing for that cert now, what would you be saying to me? This is what I love about CRTO is first of all, Daniel Dugan or Ross the Mouse. Yep. 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 Great, great security researcher. He's amazing. He's always giving back. He's very community driven. And so the CRTO course is written from the perspective, in my opinion, of somebody that actually red team and does security research, which is a lot better than your traditional large training companies that kind of just pump out content without context. And so what I love about the way he's laid out the course is it's very practical in the sense that he doesn't like nudge you try harder, but here's how you do it by the numbers. And if you get it right, you can progress through the course. It's very progressive in terms of you have to do this to get to the next level. And so to me, what was fascinating is like, you take that in terms of like the material itself, where he's giving you basically answers to the test. You just have to know and understand how to apply it. And then they throw you a little bit of a curveball and want you to emulate threat actors, which just to me is like something that. We don't do really well in the rent industry. We just simulate and less emulate because the threat actors are the real bad guys. That's who we're really up against. Finding a threat actor, knowing and understanding the tactics they use and then applying them to your payloads and your tactics throughout the course or throughout the exam is to me is just like full circle, the ultimate way to learn how to be a threat. Cool. So basically it's what you've just said there, the, the certification is almost forcing you to think like a hacker is actually installing that hacker mindset into you. Is that, is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Mm, I like that. And, um, just another thing I, I, I want to ask is I hear it sometimes and uh, sometimes at the mid or uh, to hear it at any end of the market, actually, but sometimes people like really want to do red team and, and they've, they've never done it before. I, I know it's not for, for everyone. I know some people absolutely love it. I won't mention company names, but I sometimes get calls on a Friday night from people saying they've had enough and then Monday morning, they just can't wait to get back in. It's like that love-hate relationship. <laughs> but yeah, so mate, what's it, what's it really like being on a red team engagement? Can you try and like really paint a really real picture for us? So it's, what I would say is it's five seconds of joy for five months of banging your head. And I... <laughs> In all seriousness, though, it can be incredibly stressful, but it, it also can be very rewarding, especially when you see a plan go into action and it, it carried through. I used to get caught up on the idea of celebrating that, that payload callback, but like my jam now is, is getting caught. If my team and my strategy is like superb and really foolproof, like we haven't made any mistakes and I get caught, to me, that's amazing. That means that I'm doing my job actually. The security awareness is there or the security stack is, is functioning properly and configured properly. We have good detection and response. Those types of things are very indicative of meaningful organizational improvement. It can be very rewarding. Sometimes it doesn't buy you a lot of friends. If you take the right approach, you have empathy and you really don't take this attitude that some red teamers fall into where they, they want to win. It, it can be a very rewarding career. What if I'm getting into red teaming or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a red teamer listening, what, what learning material should I have saved 
in my browser bookmark? What what learning materials giving you the most progression in in your career, Marcus? Oh, online stuff. Could be online. It could yeah. be a book actually. It's a tough one. Um, yeah, I like Joe Vest's book. Joe Vest and James Tuberville. How do you say it? But they have this book called The Red Team Development and Operations, which may be very similar to a SANS course out there, but the book is amazing. The book basically gives you an understanding of what it actually means to be a red teamer and to run a red team and to actually execute operations for it. So I think it's very well laid out. I think it's very doctrine or prescriptive, but it's, it's a good roadmap. The other book is a book that a friend of mine wrote that is maybe less technical, but it's more philosophical. It's called Attacker Mindset by Maxie Reynolds. And it is the same kind of like ideology of how you should think as an attacker, how you should approach your engagements from the perspective of who you're trying to emulate or simulate. And to me, like, that's a pretty strong book that I also like. A quick reference guide is the Red Team Field Mat. People get caught up in the fact that the Red Team Field Manual is not like this know-all, do-all, like, here's how you do things. It's a guide. It's like a cheat sheet is what I would call it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it got some really good stuff in there. I think they just came out with a 2.0, but it's got some good fundamental stuff on LOL stuff, living off the line stuff, and basic tactics that you might use in engagements. Some of them will get you caught. It's definitely trial and error in terms of your organization, the telemetry it has and the response capabilities that they have, but pretty good guide as well. Something that's a little bit dated is the Jeff Dimmick, who's blue screen of Jeff, wrote like this culmination of like red team and stuff. Gosh, I'm excited in it. I can't remember. It's like the can I? red, the red team, it looks like the red team framework is what I think it's called. Blue screen of Jeff is who it is. Okay. Um, but you also has like red team tips. I think he's up to <laughs> like 200 or something in terms of like red team. Tips. He's also UI security. He's pretty, pretty got some really good research out there. Cool. And that's all forms clap of mind. Yeah, no worries. No, no, thank you. you. You've given us loads there. And for everyone listening, I'll, what we'll do, Marcus, is either me or someone on the team will, will, will ping you afterwards and we'll get the exact URLs from you and I'll put them in the show notes when this officially goes out. So, yeah, mate, thank you for that. You've given us given us five for, five for one there, mate. So, thank you. Uh, five options. That's great. I know you've got CISP, CISSP. Career progression is something I'm really big on, I think, since... Uh, you know, I always say since remote working, we've got to push hard on, on career progression. I know that it is related to communication and management. Can you tell us a bit about how that's helped you move forward in, in your career and kind of any general thoughts on CISP in general in relation to career growth? So I took the CISSP and gosh, I want to say it was 2006. I, I have brain damage from taking that course and taking the exam. Because it was a six-hour exam, 250 questions, and I think I used five hours of the exam. I think they have since changed it where it's more adaptive and you get 180 questions or 120 questions and then it's three hours. And if you don't get to go back and re-answer stuff, that probably is what passed me is me going back and changing answers that I thought were better. What I would say about that stir is that it, for a security practitioner, it is a great cert as a foundation. I, I don't necessarily agree a little bit with, you know, they came out with an associate version, but I don't agree with the five-year requirement to, to get the full cert. Much I don't agree with, you have to have some experience to be a red team. You can start red team fresh. But to me, it was a great, so, so one of the problems with a lot of red teamers or pen testers is they're great red teamers or pen testers, but they're not great security practitioners. And so what I would say is the domains that they broke out in CISSP give you that foundation to know and understand like how security is laid out. And really what, I, what that ends up doing is giving you the proper knowledge to communicate some of the things that you Because if you're not talking the language of the people that have to fix the items that you found and you're just showing them a bunch of technical stuff, like it's not going to resonate. You're not going to get it. So I think it's a great, great foundational cert in my opinion. Man, I, I really like the fact you've just said that because it, it brings me on to something that quite nicely. So you talked about that gives you like the professional practitioner element, which is absolutely vital. 
in the commercial world. If, if you're serious about moving forward, that, that, that is vital. Obviously, the, you know, the part about being a, a, a kind of, if you like, red team, a low-level hacker, that, for obvious reasons, is important. And you mentioned five minutes ago that book called Attacker Mindset. And I'm really glad you did because I, I had a client on the, on the phone the other day and she was saying to me, Look, Tom, the juniors that I've got are doing well, but even some of the kind of mid, mid pen testers that she's got are doing well. And they are, but that the, the hacker mindset piece is, is missing. And, and she was, long story short, we're going to organize like a virtual event and I'm going to leverage my network to get some seniors involved and we're going to do a bit of a roundtable thing and et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's a real thing. Like you've got to have that, that hacker uh, mindset there. Is there, is there is there any other, that book's a, a great one you've given, Marcus. Is there any other tips you've got for people listening now, how to find, develop, head more towards the direction of having a true hacker mindset? Yeah, and I messed up the job for the book title. It's The Art of Attack. Okay, cool. Well, you weren't far off, mate. That'll do. That's not far yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. But it's not attacker mindset. I think one of her early titles was, was attacker okay. mindset. Ended up. Cool. We'll get but it. Yeah. We'll get it. We'll get the show notes. We'll get it in the show notes. Cool. Thanks, mate. <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, I think Joe Vest's book is also pretty good about that. Like identifying, I don't leave that out. Yeah. Nothing really comes to mind right now. Okay. Those are the strong ones that I have. Okay. And um, also as well, head of offensive security, doing APT, adversarial attack simulation, a lot of fun, mega role, doing what a lot of people want to do you've not, not everyone progresses that far well how come you have what's the difference or any anything that you've seen over the years that, that's got you there where perhaps others haven't and what can we learn as listeners actually that just refreshed my mind to a book that i would recommend it's not technical uh, it's called the obstacle is the way which is very appropriately titled for your question it's written by ryan holiday but essentially, I think in your career, oh, there's always obstacles in a nutshell in the Stoics. Is there's always stuff that gets in the way. And it's really how you react to it that kind of get, I know this is very soft, but it, it helps you progress. Like from the perspective of how I got where I am, basically it was right time, right place idea. And so the thing about red teams that are more popular now than they were six or seven years ago when I started, first started doing it. It's been six, it's been like eight years now. Wow. Time. But basically have the hypothesis of what you're trying to solve or accomplish. And the org needs to be ready. The org needs to have a solid informational security, cybersecurity program. You have to have a fairly comprehensive level one, level two, blue team. You have to have controls and security stack, because if you're just going, Hey, I, we need to red team and there's no value proposition could run into a dead end. And I think where I lucked out was I was coming into the field as we were standing up a solid security operations center and we had made all these investments in security products. So I raised my hand and said, who's testing, who's making sure that the investments that we make in people processes and technology are actually good investments working with you making more or less. And I think approaching with that idea, and there's a need for that, and you can be that person that facilitates that need, that's a quick way to solve a problem as well as, as rise to the right. Mm, cool. Thanks, buddy. Mark, you mentioned their timelines. And one thing I worry about a little bit is that social media, whether it be LinkedIn or, or, or any other form, it, it, it can make people see so and so is doing this promotion this maybe and i think sometimes it can warp people's opinion of, of how long things should take and i suppose the question is and i want people to hear how, how long it takes to get good because i want people to stay in the right mindset because i firmly believe if they've got the right mindset and they're in a good place i think that will facilitate better career growth and better career progression but the, the, the question is, bro, what, how long should it take me to get good at red teaming? What's a, what's a realistic timelines, would you say? So I think it really depends on the individual, their work ethic, their drive. I think you could probably get to be a pretty decent junior operator in a year. Like that's a pretty solid time frame. I think if you, what I think, what really gives you the experience is the engagement. The more engagements that you have, you learn a little, you get trial and error. 
So if you're, you know, in an organization or working for a consultancy that, that gives you like 10 engagements in a year, I feel sorry for you because you're probably burned out, but you're going to get a lot of experience, right? So it's having the access to that experience. And if you don't have access to it, trying to put yourself in a situation, whether it's learning or picking up the new research, reverse engineering zero days that come out, POCs, because there's always POCs out there for those zero days. So if you can take a look at those and, and basically digest those, like you can get really good, I think, in a year is probably good, solid litmus. Okay, cool, my friend. Are you, are you a podcast man, Marcus? You listen to many podcasts? I, I probably... Not as much on the technical side, no. I listen to like strange philosophy and stoicism podcasts because it helps diversify my, my mental health. <laughs> but yeah, I've been on a couple of podcasts and they're, they're fascinating. I, I hats off to you guys, the production quality and, and being able to do this. Like, I think you're running pretty hot, like what, once a week. Sometimes more. Yeah, but yeah, sometimes more. I mean, it is, I'll, I'll be honest, mate, it, it's intense. <laughs> it's intense. Room, yeah. It is, mate. But you know, it's, it's good fun. And then you get some feedback and you realize you're genuinely making a difference and, and helping people. You, you know, it, it really does. It's a really nice feeling. And again, I go back to, to the remote thing. I mean, I tried, if I'm not commuting anywhere, I've got some extra time, like I said, but I don't know. I don't know quite how that theory is playing out in reality because I'm definitely working longer hours, but that's another story, mate. But Marcus, I just want to pick you up on something on your, on, on the philosophy uh, podcast. And you're obviously listening to fairly highbrow and intellectual stuff there. I've heard a lot of, I've digged down into a lot of guests about court writing and how to get good at report writing. Me and you and most people, everyone listening here knows so much goes into a a pen test or a red team engagement, but obviously the end clients just get the report. And have you found listening to, 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 to some of that stuff? And would you say, would you agree that kind of helps your, your ability to articulate yourself when it comes to, to writing a pen test, a red team report or a pen testing report for that matter? I would say it probably has given me a better temperament to deliver reports, not necessarily write them. I think from a writing perspective, my, pers my view is really think about what's actionable. Like obviously use a good rating scale, identified severity, and not everything can be a high, hopefully. It really resonate with the, do an audience analysis to resonate with the audience to say, here's what you should be worried about. Here's what I was able to do. It's not a proposition of probability. It, I have done this. And when you deliver that information, you have to have empathy because you're basically in some ways telling people that their baby is ugly, you know, so you have to be very careful with the way that you deliver it and the wording and the way that it's presented needs to be with that kindness and heart and as well as with actionability. Cause if it's just a bunch of word diary and screenshots, the average person is going to be like, cool, thanks. And they're probably not going to make much, put it out as a priority. So what I would say is that pithy, very to the point, here's what you need to know. Here's the TLDR and then throw everything else in the appendix, because there are going to be those people that really do want to get into the weeds and know by the numbers, how you did what you did, but being able to structure it in a way that's appropriate for the audience that you're giving it. And the other thing is I don't write just, well, try not to write parts at all, but I don't write just one. There's always probably two to three that are written. One of them is for technical, right? So this is the doers, the people that are going to go chase down what you did. Typically your incident responders or your infrastructure guys and gals. And then you have like your mid-level leadership, mid-level management. They need a little bit technical, but more scale DR. And then you have your executive audience. And that is very limited on technical. It's more about what's the end result so they can impact and if you can understand the difference and those three audiences and when and where to apply with specifics around those audiences, like that to me is what really makes for a good Thanks, Marcus. But by the way, I was, again, it's unreleased yet, but Chap, I know, is a founder of a company called Coding Guardians. And he was saying exactly what you just said there, which is you've got to get to the point. And also something you mentioned there is, you're essentially sectioning 
section in the reports off and having different forms of communication for different types of, of stakeholders. And yeah, it's, I've, I've heard that kind of opinion mirrored again and again across the pod. So for people listening, it's, it's so important on the report writing front to understand your audience, cater for them. And yeah, that, 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 that be succinct and to the point. Marcus, this might be a really hard one to answer, but uh, I'll ask you anyway. I hope you don't mind. Uh, if I'm thinking, right, that sounds great, but I know I'm a bit waffly. My reports aren't stunning at the minute. How do I, how do I get from there to, say, where you are or where anyone else that's good at piecing a report together is? How do I get from A to B? Yeah, so what I would say is networking having peer relationships with the audience. So pick your favorite little teamer, befriend them, take them out for drinks, buy them pizza, whatever. Get to know them and get to understand what their challenges are so that you put yourself in their perspective when you're writing that report. Mentors, find you a mentor that's at the level that you are delivering these reports to. Like my CISO, my, my first CISO was like my mentor. And he would tell me like, yeah, that's really great. Who, who cares? Okay, so I'll take that out because nobody cares. And it wasn't about trying to hide things or obfuscate things. It was more about what's the biggest impact? What do people actually care about? So developing those relationships where you can get that feedback loop from people, I think mm -hmm. it's very And peer review, if it makes sense to your peer, if it makes sense to the audience, a specific stakeholder. And all the, also, like it's very endearing when you go tell someone, hey, I'm getting ready to deliver this report in a very public way that you're going to participate in and you take a look at it and just make sure it looks good and kind of you understand it. Like a lot of times folks would be like flattered by that. It almost feel like they get this insider track to, oh yeah, cool. I get to see it first. Little social engineering there. That's the approach that I typically take because it, I found it to be much easier to deliver results when you've had some other, some other people look at it. Yeah. Thanks Matt. I love that because what you just said could be related to anything. It could be report writing. It could be, like I said, it could be getting your head around the latest C2 framework. It could be web app, mobile cloud. It could be anything, couldn't it? If you can network correctly. You know, if I go back to the old days in recruitment, it was like, as soon as you start in, a, in an agency, go and sit next to the best guy or girl on that floor, you know, and it, 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 it just makes, it makes absolute sense. And I think for everyone listening as well, we, we, Whenever I'm approached by a new client, one of the questions I, I, I want to ask straight away, and, and, and I want to ask this because I think it's important for everyone's career development is tell me about the best guys and girls on the team. What are they doing? What's going on? And I think for anyone that's in a company or looking at a new company, I, I think who's on the team and, and, and like you said, Mark, is building relationships with those people. I say it's not going to make it easy, but it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier, isn't it? It's, it's, it's certainly worth doing. So thank, thanks for that, my friend. Um, I'm just going to move on to the next one. Certifications. I was talking about them. There was a bit of a divisive uh, topic. What, what are your thoughts on, on certs, Marcus? I would say they are the know-all, do-all. But what I would say is certifications, especially for leaders, is a good way for me to distinguish you as someone that can apply what they've learned in a practical way. But it has to be relevant, right? So if you're applying for a red team position, you have your project plus certification, probably not very helpful. Could be helpful from a project management perspective, but not from a red team perspective. And I think what's interesting to me is like the traditional branded certs that you see like CISSP, OSCP, those are great certs, but you do need to have some level of knowledge to pass them, but that doesn't always translate to practical skills. And I think sometimes you see that people are great test takers. And but they don't understand the, the kind of real world application to that. So I would say is, and, and, and this is coming from a person that has probably 13 to 14 certs that I've collected over the years, like Thanos, it's a great start. It's a great way to check the box and it absolutely doesn't. Thank you, my friend. So as we come to the end here, I know. Uh, and I always like to see if anyone's got any questions. And by the way, I know for people listening, sometimes it's a little bit frightening to ask a question. So if anyone wants to like DM me now on LinkedIn and they've got any questions for, for me or for obviously for Marcus is, is the main reason, but any questions at all, let us know. I'm going to try and 
it's cool you mark i'm just going to save a little bit of time at the end for for, for questions thanks oh brilliant two uh, right i'm just gonna are you okay to do a couple of questions now marcus is that cool sure yeah cool right dwight i think you were first my friend dwight how you doing my friend blessings blessings happy tuesday everyone thank you all for having this type of conversation it's definitely needed i don't have a question however i couldn't tell which one of you mentioned the books as a good reference and i'm an avid reader and i'm definitely interested in and i have no experience with cybersecurity besides the typical windows type of layout and so forth from an administrative point of view but I would definitely love to get into those books you recommended. So if possible, you guys can drop it to the comments um, after the event. Someone mentioned like four or five different books about red teams and so yeah. forth. I would love to go to Amazon and get books for myself to read. So that's my request. Yeah, cool. We could pop them in. We should be on commission, Marcus, with Amazon, with Amazon Bookstore, shouldn't we, mate? Hey? Affiliate marketing. Let's get it. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Dwight. I'll um, I'll liaise with Marcus, and we'll get them in the uh, we'll get them in the chat, bro. Right, Bavish. I'll just let you up, my friend. Oh, you've gone, Bavish. If you just pop your oh, there you are. Hey, Bavish, how you doing, mate? How you doing, bro? Hey, Thomas. I'm good. How are you? Good. Yes, thank you. Have you got a question for Marcus? Yeah. Hey, Marcus. How are you doing? Good, Bavish. How are you? Good. So my question is like, currently I'm working as part of a incident response team. My, like, I want to move into red teaming, but I still haven't gotten, uh, like, gotten any chance to move into red teaming. I got my first exposure to red teaming was like, uh, in the current organization that I'm working for. So like in the RTBT exercise. So after that, like I got obsessed with the how part, like how the consultants were able to get into the network. Like I started looking for the certification to like uh, go for so I went for CRTP which is a kind of a beginner certifications for red teaming so after that like I still uh, practice it on my local VM like I have set up a local VM to practice so my question is like uh, how can I transition from a security incident response role to a red teaming role like uh, what all things would Marcus you know point out or advise me yeah I think What's fascinating about incident responders transitioning to red and then also red teamers transitioning to incident response is what I would say is you're the opposite side of the same coin. And so from the perspective of your job is to defend and understand how attackers are attacking, that gives you a leg up as a red teamer. Cause that's actually how I started was I was doing defensive work before we had a formal IR and, and detect team. And really knowing and understanding the, the, the uh, challenges that you have as a blue teamer is what makes for the best red teamer because the red teamer basically will take those challenges and highlight them in an assessment. If you're missing telemetry, if you're missing detection, if you're missing security products, whatever. So take that knowledge and just reverse engineer it from the attacker mindset. In terms of how you get there, it, it's, it's not an easy, not an easy proposition unless you have an internal red team that you can pivot to. I feel like those, that's the easiest way is to transition by demonstrating skills and, and aptitude. If your current organization doesn't have a red team, it might be a little bit challenging. But if you take a page from my book, you could actually try, or in my opinion, make the, make the case that an internal red team is necessary and say, here's some of the things that I've noticed that need fixing and here's how we would like to assess it or prove the value of, of red teaming. Obviously it, it sounds to me like you guys hired some consultants to do that job. It, that can get yeah. costly. Yeah. It's costly to do that on an ongoing basis. The way that I would maybe bridge that is you're the middle ground and pick their brain. Those consultants, you pay them money. Yeah. Like, not let them say, we're just going to give you an engagement and walk away. Like you need to know and understand the tactics that good consultancy will do that for you. Yeah. Cool. I'll answer your question. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, like if we have time, uh, I just have a short question. Uh, so like Marcus, like when you're in engagements, uh, like what, uh, actions would you like take in respect with respect to defense evasion? So. For me, like when I, 
I'll back that up and then I'll answer your question specifically. Like I look at scope, like what is my hypothesis about what I'm trying to prove is right or wrong in the environment? And then from there, you reverse engineer the stack, you reverse engineer what knowledge you have. So let's say you put in a new EDR and the idea is that the EDR is better than the last one. You would gauge your, you, you would scope your engagement to essentially go after some of the shortcomings that you have found through trial and error or research with that particular EDR. And so that's basically that the approach that I take with defense evasion is not every one of them are perfect. And there's plenty of research out there to tell you where to go. So take that thread and just hold on it. And you either prove or disprove your hypothesis. And sometimes it's okay to prove it. Sometimes it's okay to get caught and to, to, to challenge assumptions about what you think is wrong with it and find out that it's not actually true. That proves value too. So yep. that's the way I look at defensive agent. Great. Thanks. Thanks for your answers. Cool. cool. Yeah. Good questions, Bobby. Anything else at all, bro? Is that you? You've got some great questions, my friend. Uh, nope. Uh, nothing for now. Yeah. Feel free to DM with you. Yeah. Follow up. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Bobby. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Marcus. Have a nice one. Thanks. Thanks. And you. One or two more questions, but if any any other questions, please do ask. It's it's great. And Marcus, thanks to you for for, for fielding these questions. It's it's great. I really do feel like these LinkedIn like they they do exactly what 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 I want all this to do, which is bring everyone closer together in a remote working environment on a global basis. It's just uh, it, 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 yeah, it's absolutely cool. brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is my first LinkedIn Live event, so it's pretty cool. No, they're, they're they're good. I, I, I say before, I find them a little bit more, bit no, more nerve wracking than than a normal pod, but they they are yeah. very cool. <laughs> it's a big question, and we've answered this in parts throughout this live session. But I just want to finish off on, on, on this one, Marcus, which is what for the listeners that are listening now and in the future, what skills, personality trait, attributes do you feel are necessary? to be a highly successful red teamer in today's market and beyond? Yeah, a lot of these are actually soft skills that I'm going to rattle out. The technical part, you can get there. And I'll talk about that too. But from a soft skills perspective, you have to have patience. There's always a way, no matter how much you get defeated, there's always a way. Just have the patience to keep looking. Intellectual curiosity always have to be learning. You always have to be thinking about the next best thing. Hacker mindset. I used to go through this exercise where I'd walk into a bank and I would literally be like, there's a camera there, there's a camera there, security guard there, tell her here. And it really sized things up. And when you start to put yourself in that habit and then you apply that to the principle of my team and people, like it really puts you in the mindset. This is how bad guys so putting yourself in that attacker mindset and then just empathy. There's, I think this trait does not really get covered a lot because empathy is incredibly important as a right. Because sometimes people, if you have a bad leader, like sometimes you can get fired over this stuff. So you really have to figure out how to present things in a way that's helpful to the organization and not harmful. So never do harm. From a technical perspective, you definitely need to be, have some semblance, not, you don't need to be a full-time developer, but you need to have some semblance of being able to do some dev. At, at, at very least, you need to be able to steal other people's code and repurpose it. That's kind of basics. System operating system. I think we talked about this, but knowing it, knowing and understanding how the OS works at, at different levels from server to client to network is pretty important too. You really are a jack of all trades. I mean, then when you start setting up your red team infrastructure, you're going to have to be a sysadmin. You're going to have to be a security practitioner. You're going to have to be all those things. You basically have to run a shadow IT in order to make an APT like red team infrastructure. But definitely picking up basic IT skills. Like for me, I was a Unix sysadmin. So that's a good thing to have as well. I think that pretty much covers what I would recommend. Brilliant, mate. Thank you, buddy. And, uh, Last question, mate. I promise. I'm really, I'm enjoying this. I'm just gonna, just gonna, just gonna steal a little bit more of your time, if you don't mind. But we, we, I've heard this phrase before. You've got to tell someone their baby's ugly. And uh, if I'm sat here thinking, right, okay, yeah, that, that's logical. That makes sense. Or 
if you've just got through an EDR that costs four, five, two million dollars, like how do I actually say that? Because I'm completely grasping that the communication piece is huge, and I can see how if you can get good at it, like I say, the, the technical skills is just is just a given. You've got to be passionate. You've got to be moving forward. You've got to be learning all the time. But that communication piece, I'm I'm thinking that could be a little. That's a bit more of a moving part, like. How do I tell that person that, that you've just done something that's essentially going to upset them? I think you need to figure out a way to do it that doesn't feel like an ambush. Delivering it to 50 of their peers in, a, in an all-hands special debrief is probably not a good way to start out developing relationships. But I think what I would do is just approach it from an empathy perspective and then keep it sounds strange to say have empathy, but then have no emotions, like stick to the fact. Don't make any observations or assumptions from a feelings and emotions perspective as yourself. Mm-hmm. Try to say, here's the ones and zeros, and then follow it up with the empathy. But I'm here to help. It, you know, that's the other thing is like a red teamer always needs to be in the position of saying, I'm here to help. If you're not. If that message, if they walk away and not have that message on the top of their mind, then you have failed. No matter how great of an assessment or report or anything that you've done, if they don't walk away thinking and feeling like you're a partner, then you have failed. And that goes to vendors too. If you're evaluating a security product at your organization and, and you're picking apart that $4 million EDR, like you need to tell the vendor, like, I'm happy to help you improve your product by demonstrating what, you know, telling you and demonstrating what I've done. People feel like that's like reducing the longevity of their attacks. But for me, at the end of the day, we all have an ethical responsibility to improve the market and improve security for organizations. And if we just continue to kick vendors in the face without really trying to help or identify, you know, shortcomings, we're never going to get better. It's, it's a collective effort. Cool. Thanks, mate. Right, Marcus, I've just had a question come through on DMs. What was your easiest instance of getting domain admin access? <laughs> Ooh, that one's hard to talk about. I think when you think about transformational projects in which organizations will implement new technologies or what's perceived to be that cutting edge technologies. A lot of times which developer or sysadmin, they tend to uh, worry about getting it working before they, you know, and that security is the afterthought, like bootstraps after. And I think during that time frame, this is where Red Team is like worth its weight in gold. During that that time of early adoption and, and emerging technology growth, that's when it's very rife for those types of privilege escalation opportunities. I don't want to get too much in the specifics, but good instances like when Azure started coming out and basically you would have your on-prem AD connected to your Azure AD. And if you don't do that, like that can be very troublesome going both ways. And part of that is validating. Part of that is showing where the issue is and then trying to use your influence by showing them what you've done to get them to fix that. That's a little bit of a vague way of saying it, but yeah, traditionally it's look at what the emerging tech is and look at where they've maybe taken some shortcuts. Cool. Thank you. Thanks again, mate. And then that's a fairly good place to finish. If anyone's got what any question, maybe we'll just do one more question. I know Marcus is a really busy man, so I am conscious of his time. And Marcus, thanks again, mate. This has been really cool. Is there anything that anything I should have asked, mate, that I haven't, or do you think we've think we've about nailed it, or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. This has been great. You know, thank you for having me on. I, I was looking back at some of the previous folks that you've had on, and I was like, wow, that's a pretty impressive list. Well, how did I make it here? <laughs> no, not at all, mate. So listen, it's a it's a privilege to have you on, bro, and. I really appreciate it. I know Red Team is just a pinnacle for a lot of guys and girls out there. And I think hearing, hearing your story, especially transitioning from kind of a web app environment to a, you know, how to transition from Pentest to, to Red Team is really valuable. And, and, and for everyone listening, we'll definitely get all those books. We'll, we'll, I promise you, between me and Marcus, we'll definitely get the titles. We'll, we'll, we'll get them all there. And 
Marcus, thanks again, mate. Re- really good live. Thanks for the for the for people. I know it takes a lot of courage to ask a ask a question, by the way. So thank you for the for the questions that we had as well. It's made it nice and interactive and fun. And Marcus, I'll uh, I'll speak to you too, mate. Thanks. Yeah. Have a great Cheers. one. Cheers. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.